Welcome back to the Magic the Gathering Unofficial Audiobooks Podcast. I know you're probably binging these things as they first come out because I'm releasing them all together. So just a quick shout out to our first sponsor of the show and asking for you to check out the Etsy shop. Etsy.com slash shop slash apes in capes. Customizable shadow box cubes. There's a link in the show notes. Go browse. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Plus, if you order, you can get 10% off your order by using the code word MAGIC at checkout. These things are perfect additions to your collection and are truly great pieces of handmade work. A reminder, the next five patrons who join up to the Patreon for the show and cross $100 will receive a special edition Shadowbox Cube, Urza and Mishra battling it out at Friday Night Magic. You gotta see it to believe it. So again, etsy.com slash shop slash apes in capes, 10% off with the code MAGIC at checkout, and support the show on Patreon to help support my daughter meeting her grandparents for the first time. I'm grateful you are here. Enjoy. Chapter 2 Krogh began to awaken from a long slumber of rest and preservation, the member of Phyrexia's inner circle beginning to stir within his bath of soothing, glistening oil. The insinuating fluid seeped through microscopic ducts into his semblance of skin, gray sheened and stretched tight over ropey, wire-braided muscles, a cleft skull. Small on an otherwise large frame, the skull looked out with eye sockets currently capped by protective shields. Teeth bared in a frozen, maniacal grin, Crow consumed more of the life-sustaining oil through his gaps in his sharpened teeth. One skeletal hand of razor-sharp fingers, corded with muscles of metallic fiber, rose from the glistening oil. It screeched against the bath's metal rim and finally locked around a scarred lip. Oil ran down along the Phyrexian's arm, dripping back into the pool from the sharp-spiked pointing protruding from what must have been the monster's elbow. In his state of semi-consciousness, Krogh heard several thunderous whispers which reverberated through his skull and brought with them pleasant memories. The scents of smelted iron, fresh oil. A dark shape loomed out of his dreams, black against a night that lacked both moon and stars. The landscape was lit by sparks from the venting of countless forges, and far above, burning cinders rained down from the metallic sky. The shape grew in size, striding across the plain until all grew insignificant by comparison. The dark leviathan stopped, recognizing Krogh among the infinite reaches of his mind. This night, Yogmoth had come to speak with him. He was the dark god of Phyrexia, creator of their plane and architect of their improved body. In all the multiverse, there was none so perfect in form as he. From his slumber over the millennia, the ineffable spoke to the inner circle and made his will known. Krogh easily recalled that one time the Dark One actually woke, grand terror that physically shook the nine spheres of Phyrexia until all recognized his power and were bent to the task of remolding the Dominarian Nexus with Phyrexia at its center. A querulous rumble shook Krogh, still locked in a dream. The council member trembled before the display of power. Urza Planeswalker lives, the Dark God confirmed. Eyes of molten red flashed out of the darkness in anger and disapproval. Their searing heat threatened to cripple Krogh's body. Complete, though they might be, even a member of the inner council could not stand before their enraged god. Report, thundered the Phyrexian lord. Krogh understood his master's anger. Urza Planeswalker had been born in the shadow of Phyrexia, mastering the powers of a very unique power stone left behind in the mountain portal of Koilos. He'd also managed to somehow lock away the Dominarian Nexus, preventing any Phyrexian reprisal and 
thwarting the full inception of the Dark One's plans for over three millennia. Insult to this injury came when Urza launched his own attack on Phyrexia. Many members of the Inner Circle were lost in that attack. Many more were later returned to the vats, rendered, decanted, and completed again according to the better plan. Four spheres Urza fought his way through, showing the Phyrexians where they were weak, nearly waking the ineffable himself. Urza was eventually driven back and pursued by negators. They were to destroy the Planeswalker and be rid of him forever. Somehow, Urza managed to escape time and again, always leaving behind the ruined corpses and burnt-out shells of the negators for the Phyrexians to reclaim and study for faults. He led the Phyrexians into Sarah's realm, an artificial plane constructed by another planeswalker devoted to pure white mana which threatened the existence of any Phyrexian. Distracted by so tempting a target, here the negators lost Urza's trail. Sarah's realm fell prey instead. Assaults against the abominable plane finally drove Sarah away, then the Phyrexians' corrupting influence worked to turn the realm into a dark mockery of what it once had been, until Urza reappeared, challenging the corruption that had finally made the artificial plane habitable by Phyrexians sensitive to white mana. Not a single detail was forgotten or omitted in Krogh's report to his Dark Lord. Indeed, the Phyrexian was powerless to withhold anything from his master. His mind was simply drained of all information, relevant or not. When finally finished, the member of Phyrexia's inner circle waited for judgment, knowing it could come either swift and terrible or prolonged and cruel, all at a whim of their god. The raging thunder that was the ineffable's ire for Urza Planeswalker spent itself inside Krog's dreams. Tendrils of furious, molten energy slashed at his frame, and darkness squeezed upon his mind. The death scent of scorched oil permeated his body, but this was not punishment or condemnation, and Yogmoth spared his subject his full fury. Then, under control once more, the Phyrexian's self-made god left Krog with other images from his own mind. The inner council member was shown plans for wrath, the ceaseless spread of manufactured tan flowstone as it swept over the limitless horizon and would one day sweep over Dominaria itself. It was to be the staging ground for the coming invasion. He was told of the Evancar, the one who must one day rule wrath and work the will of Phyrexia. This one would come of its own time, and until then, Krogh would be responsible for administrating the duties of Evancar or finding someone who could. Lastly, the half-conscious completed Phyrexian was shown the penalty he would suffer if plans did not proceed according to schedule. Interference from Urza Planeswalker would not be tolerated. If he failed, his flesh and metal components would be disassembled by the hunched-over, skittering creatures known as birth priests. The raw material of his artificially perfected body would be stripped down and reused. Nothing would remain of Krogh his name burnt from the minds of all Phyrexians. Krogh chattered his understanding. The Dark God retreated from Krogh's mind. Smoke left in his wake, dispersed on the hot winds of forge bellows, but the stench of the burning metal never completely vanishing. Beneath the surface of the bath, Krogh came fully awake, his eye shields dilated open, revealing large sockets that immediately filled with oil. His vision glowed amber from the cold burning lights above the surface of the pool swallowed large amounts of the fluid. Tightening his grip on the bath's outer edge, Krogh hauled himself upright, breaking through the surface and immediately calling to his servants. The Dark God had given him a task. The pain distracted Devol. As best as he could, the Coruscant native compartmentalized the agony of the mechanically talent hand locked with vice-lake strength around the back of his neck. He ignored the tremors of his own traitorous muscles, and with a focus of will, he cast his mind forward from his body. For a brief second, 
stood there, looking back into his own eyes. Black orbs with just a touch of steel gray in the center. Cringed away from their lack of compassion and the obvious signs of illness in his hasty corpse-like flesh. The creature standing next to him, holding him in its grip, was hardly better to look at. Its body was a meld of machine and flesh with one real arm and one of metal framework and corded muscle grafted back into place. Grillwork replaced its mouth and covered the bony ridges of what must have once been ears. Devol extended his consciousness to touch the thoughts of the creature before him. Interspersed between the hate and contempt which ruled most of the Phyrexian's thoughts, it only knew of its own purpose. It was a speaker, one of the few who could speak Coruscant's language. Free from his body's entrapment, Devol's mind now drifted through the antechamber of his world's most sacred temple. Usually lit by torch alone, it now stood illuminated by strange smokeless lights brought by the Phyrexians. The temple was an ancient ruin of rough stonework with one set of metal doors that took up the entire northern wall of the antechamber. To Devol's knowledge, that was saying something, no one had been past those doors to view the gift of the gods in over 3,000 years. Even the antechamber was forbidden to all except the most powerful of Coruscant's leaders. Twelve years as this nation's historian had once allowed Devol the right to visit this supposedly hallowed place. Here he had taken his mental powers to new strengths. Then his forced retirement stole that privilege from him until today. Now he visited the temple again. Two score Coruscant leaders were held in attendance by half as many black-armored soldiers. The speaker, the soldiers, and another larger Phyrexian who appeared to be in charge stood across from the captive Coruscant heads of state. This large Phyrexian was the one who could save Deval's life, the one who could protect him from his own diseased body. The Phyrexians traveled across worlds. They could exchange the weaker flesh for metal and machine. They would do so because they needed him, could use him elsewhere, just like they relied on him today. Among the Coruscant, even those rare ones with mental abilities similar to his own, Deval was unique. Because his body had begun failing him so early on, he had spent the entirety of his 34 years of mature life developing his mind until none could match his strength. His mind was all he'd ever had. Flares of black and red energy sparked at the edge of his consciousness. He saw the wards that guarded the doors react to his disembodied presence. His mental intrusion, however, was not quite enough to trip any alarms or traps. He entered another chamber, and there it was, the so-called gift of the gods that had sat at the heart of the temple for millennia. A machine spider-like in that its slab body would move forward on six articulated legs was obviously made of metal. It gleamed as if age could not touch it in this vault. Duvall marveled at its physical timelessness. He studied the head thrust forward from the slab body, savage in its likeness of natural physiology. The speaker had shown him a picture of it, calling it an engine of some kind, a Thran war machine brought here long ago. Yes, that's what it was, a war machine sitting at the center of Coruscant's lip-service religion. This is what his leaders fought now to protect for themselves. It's there, he said, returning to his body with the speed of a single thought. He winced from the painful pressure applied by the speaker's mechanical hand. Two sets of doors. The engines sit in the second chamber, approximately thirty paces inward from that point. The larger Phyrexian, the one showing less flesh and so obviously in charge of the situation, screeched something to the speaker, the sound of tortured metal and popping rivets. The hand released of all. He slumped to his knees in weakness. Which one to defeat the wards? The speaker asked. Its chorus and language translation came out harsh and rudimentary, but understandable. Duvall coughed wetly, then rose shakily to his feet. The answer was already within his mind. Many people knew who among them was the keeper of that secret, and he felt no shame in giving that up. He had been a welcome member of the ruling elite once, before his physical appearance and health began to deteriorate. 
His perfect memory had been an asset, giving him a handle over administrative tasks few could match. He had given his mind over to his countrymen in hopes that they, in turn, could find a cure for his diseased body, but these people had been unable to heal him. They had stopped trying once he was expelled. Now they shunned him on the street as if his body's state was a fault he could control. The fault was theirs. That one, he said, pointing out the correct man. The man shivered in fright, and the eyes of thirty-nine of other chorus and leaders cast venomous daggers at Duvall. The speaker chattered and hissed back to the other. After a moment, That one we have interviewed before. He was most resistant. Remove the knowledge from his mind. A chill shook Duvall as the Phyrexian asked for the first thing he would be unable to deliver. That may prove difficult, he began, and hastened when the speaker reached out for him. What, what I mean is that my talent cannot root around in another's mind. I, I can read only surface thoughts, generalities. He swallowed hard, tasting metallic sting at the back of his throat. He would try to sabotage my efforts. He should open the wards himself. He refused earlier, even when tortured, the speaker said. Duvall pulled himself erect. Yes, I'm sure he cherishes the solemnity of his position. He walked over to the other man. It's only an artifact he guards. A machine. Something so easy to give up and return for life, thought Duvall. I'm sure there's something he cherishes more. Perhaps something he's more afraid of than his own life. The elder man stared back, his expression twisted between loathing and hatred. Then he spit the Duvall's face. Duvall did not flinch or move to wipe away the spittle. He felt it trail slowly down his left cheek. It didn't matter. He promised himself. The image was there in his mind. The other man's weakness. This insult only proved to him how little he still owed these people. He turned back to his Phyrexian masters. He has a daughter.